Hi, friends. Welcome to the Doing Good Well podcast. This is a podcast about the dreamers, idealists, and visionaries who are changing the world for the better. Their stories will encourage and inspire you to do good and do it well. I'm excited to be joined today by my friend Jody Jester. Jody Jester works for an organization called Bridge a Life, and they are doing amazing work in the community. And so I wanted to bring Jody on, especially during National Adoption Month, to talk about her own personal journey um, as an adoptive mom mm-hmm. and also with her organization and what they're doing to make an impact. So welcome to the show, Jody. Yeah, thanks for having me. So tell people a little bit about the background of Bridge a Life. Who, what is the organization about? Where did you start? Kind of give us a little bit of that story. I've had the privilege of working with Bridge Life for five years now, but they started several years before that, um, actually in the living room of our founders, Danny and Anne-Marie Jones. And Danny and Anne-Marie, they attend Bayside Community Church, and they had started the foster care journey themselves and really just had a passion and desire to share with anybody and everybody um, what that looked like. And so they started a small group. Like, you know, a lot of churches encourage um, people to plug into a small group environment. And so Danny and Anne-Marie had done that um, with the purpose of just sharing about foster care and adoption and and hopefully, you know, convincing some people that that was um, a path that they wanted to explore with their own families. And so there was a lot of success there um, as they got new families to, to become licensed and to walk that journey alongside of them. Um, very soon after that, uh, Matt and Caitlin Leak, who are board members now as well and have been since almost the very beginning, um, joined them. And we've had other board members that have served time as well. But just all with that passion and desire to share the opportunity um, to become a foster and adoptive parent. Um, but just like with a normal small group, you know, you have things come up, somebody's um, a grandma passes away or they have a child who's sick or, you know, different scenarios. And so you offer to take a meal or babysit or help with transportation. And so a lot of the the ministry opportunities that Bridge Life has now are kind of a grassroots um, result of that early small group that happened in the Joneses living room. So, you know, we do things like deliver meals and home improvement projects and things like that. So when you started five years ago, how did you get connected to Bridge of Life? <laughs> so um, my husband and I, when we were still dating, actually, we knew that foster care or adoption was somewhere in our future. Um, but we had kind of a timeline. You know, a lot of times we like to plan these things out. So it was way far in the future and not something that we were thinking about in that moment. Um, God often has other plans. Right. <laughs> and so he kind of sped up that timeline. I was working in full-time children's ministry Um, and I was really just in contact with a lot of foster and adoptive families in our church. And so, um, it was, that opportunity was just in our face a lot more than what we had anticipated. And so we started to, um, be, uh, to start the licensing process to become foster parents, um, and ended up with our first placement. And so, um, we were doing foster care and I was doing children's ministry and it was just, it was a lot of kids, which is my heartbeat. It's, you know, I, I love kids obviously. Um, but I, I started to think at that point, like someday I'm going to need a job where I get to work with families and, and do something good for kids, but I'm not going to be like with kids mm-hmm. <laughs> day in and day out for my job. So that sort of, um, 
started the process for me to think about maybe something outside of children's ministry. Um, and then our kids had actually gone with a friend to a Bridge Life event. Um, and because of that, we were added to the Bridge Life newsletter. And um, so I, I started this process going, you know, what? I'm not going to look for something outside of children's ministry, but I'm just going to keep my ears and eyes open. And, and if something kind of falls in my lap, um, then I'll, I'll pursue that. And it was a matter of maybe days or weeks later, <laughs> you know, that's how that happens. Um, that I got that Bridge of Life newsletter and the opening, you know, tagline was we're hiring. And I thought, well, that, that's an interesting, you know, prospect. They're working with kids and, you know, but not with kids and really supporting families. And so, um, I started the, the interview process and here we are. So that's awesome. Yeah. So talk about your fostering and adoption journey. So you talked about you went through the license proce- licensing process. Mm-hmm. You got your first placement. Was that your only placement or <laughs> how did that turn out for you? Okay, so we started the licensing process because there was a teenage girl in our church who was free and clear for adoption. And we felt like we had been called um, to adopt her. And so, but the, the licensing process takes some time, obviously. And so by the time we had kind of worked through that, she had been matched with another family. It was a great situation for her. And so we were kind of scratching our heads going like, we're happy for her. We're confused why we're here. Right. <laughs> like, like, why did all of that happen? Um, and so we decided to finish the licensing process and just kind of put it on hold basically that like, we're going to complete the process, but we're not going to actively pursue, you know, this right now. Um, and then of course, you know, a family in our church has this sibling group of three. Um, we find out that those three have three other siblings who are in three different homes in three different counties and they haven't seen each other in a really long time. And siblings in foster care are supposed to get weekly visits. And so, um, through just sort of the, um, the positive possibility presenting of this family, they kept saying, wouldn't it be great if you took the younger three and we had the older three and then they would see each other at church. And, you know, that sounded a little scary. We had a a one and a three-year-old at the time. Um, and the younger three kids of this sibling group were two, three and five. Wow. So (laughs) we were looking at, you know, welcoming in five kids, uh, five and under. That's Um, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't something I can say that we jumped at right away. Right. Um, but again, just the way God works, that's what ended up happening. And so I was working full time. My husband was working full time and we had five kids, five and under. Wow. as our first placement. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. And you survived. You survived. Yeah, I'm you here. lived to tell the yep, tale. Exactly. So then you were fostering those three, which mm-hmm. is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were no longer separated. You were talking about that, that they're supposed mm-hmm. to get weekly mm-hmm. visits, but it seems like that wasn't the case mm-hmm. for these siblings. Mm-hmm. And so now they're in the three of those are with you. And the other three are with this other family. Did you think it was going to be a temporary thing? Yeah. So uh, the thing that a lot of people don't realize about foster care is it's the goal is always reunification. So we're working that plan to get these kids back with their birth family um, and and their parents are working towards that. And that's what we are thinking is going to happen. And you're given a certain amount of time for reunification to happen. And so um, in our kids case, that wasn't successful. They weren't able to reunify. And so then case management looks to place all six kids with one adoptive home. And so then we had another decision to make. Um, and again, not like it was a quick, um, oh, yeah, we'll do that. You know, it was a lot of my husband and I had to really talk through and pray about it. What does this look? What does breakfast look like right. with eight kids? Right. <laughs> you know, how do we do laundry? Like, do we need to buy a new vehicle? Do we need to buy a new house? Like, you know, not that our hearts weren't there to to be able to say yes. Um, our hearts were there, but 
we need to be realistic too. There's a about, lot of logistics yeah. to figure out, right? <laughs> right. Um, and so, but at that point, you know, we had, we had grown to know and love these kids over the course of a year and a half. And so the older three ended up moving in with us. And six months later, we uh, finalized the adoption of all six kids and we were a family of 10. <laughs> family of 10. That's quite a jump. So you are yeah. a family of four. Yep. You know, and again, I love how you talk about that. We have a plan sometimes, I think, yeah. for our lives. And we're going to tell God how things are going to play out. Mm-hmm. And we prescribe exactly how we think things are going to yep. go. But probably if you would talk to me, you know, 10 years ago, you would have never pictured being a family of 10, no. I can imagine. Mm-hmm. Was that always in your heart, though, to foster um, even from way back? So that when it happened, God had prepared you in a lot of ways to... Um, be open at least to consider the possibilities. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I had read books in high school about um, a a man named Dave or a a boy called It. It was a three-part series. And I remember reading that and being like, I want to be a foster parent, like even as a high schooler. Um, So then when I met my husband, that was a conversation that we had and he knew some adoptive families. And so I knew that his heart was open towards that. Um, But yeah, we had, we had some rules, you know, our kids were going to be in middle school or older before we started the process. You know, they ended up being one and three. Um, We were going to foster or adopt a child Um, (laughs) and we were not going to disrupt birth order. So those were our three order. And we hear those a lot in the the community. And those, they just make sense. That's not a bad plan to have, you know, Um, but those were our rules and they all got broken. (laughs) Funny how God has a way of saying, wait a second, let me tell you, I'm in control and Mm -hmm. I have a better plan than what you have for your life. For sure. So you adjust from being a family of four to a family of 10. Mm -hmm. How did you see community coming around you at that time? Or what are some ways you wish community would have come around you at that time to help in that transition process? Yeah, so we're really fortunate to be part of a congregation that understands the importance of community and really had a value already assigned to wrapping around foster and adoptive families. So we attend Sarasota Christian Church. My husband's on staff there. I was on staff there. Um, and so the way that we were supported and continue to be supported is, I mean, far exceeds anything that we ever thought possible. I mean, we had, you know, one friend brought us dinner every Wednesday night for probably two years wow. after the adoption. I mean, just faithful, faithful, faithful. Um, we would have times where people would just show up with groceries or we'd come home and our yard would be mowed. Um, we had, you know, somebody in our church taught drivers ed. So she taught our teenagers for free, you know, just took them out driving, um, Somebody else was a swim instructor, so like taught our little ones, you know, to swim and just like example upon example of um, music lessons, carpooling, like just really practical stuff that for us made all the difference because we wanted our kids to be able to have those experiences. But there are two of us and eight of them. Um, and, you know, different schools and different interests and things like that. So even today, you know, we've uh, three have launched. We still have five at home. Um, they're all in middle school and high school at this point. And to see the support that our church has specifically and then just our bigger community as well, um, which is what I love about Bridge Life. I feel like we've experienced we've been successful because of people wrapping around us in a practical way. And now I get to be part of a, an organization whose mission and vision is to do that exact same thing, to to look at a family and go, okay, how can we make you successful because you've said yes to a child who comes from trauma and then to get to work that out. So, And I love that you experienced that. So mm-hmm. you're coming from a place of knowing just how important that is. Mm-hmm. And then now you're able to bring other people alongside you and, and, and to 
really launched them into the foster care community in different kinds of ways mm-hmm. and adoptive community. You talked about it didn't end when the kids were adopted. And I think sometimes right. we think of adoption as the finish line yeah. in this world. And it's really not. There's still you went from a family of four to a family of 10. Like there's still mm-hmm. adjustments to be made even after that paperwork is finalized mm-hmm. and that they were still ongoing in helping even past that adoption being finalized mm-hmm. and that I know is part of your heart at Bridge of Life is that you're there throughout the whole process and even continuing on so sure. talk about what are some of those um, things that you all do as an organization to help support families so we um, first of all we have an amazing group of volunteers who are just super passionate and very committed and help make all of these things happen so we have volunteers that meet who put together meals that are um, ready for the freezer and so when a family receives a new placement or they're going through a crisis or a time of transition, we can contact them and offer to bring a meal, um, which may seem like a small thing, but you know, anybody who's a a parent (laughs) juggling school and sports (laughs) schedules and things like that to know, like, I don't have to worry about dinner tonight. Isn't that funny how that is such like an overwhelming thought? Yeah. I don't know why it's like dinner happens every night and you're like, Oh, what are we going to do for dinner again tonight? So just that one little thing off their plate is I'm sure a huge help for these families. And it's a real practical way that you can help. Yeah, and it's a personal touch point too. It's not just, I mean, you know, it's great to have somebody order pizza for you. That's practical too. But to know somebody made you a meal and then a volunteer who cares is going to deliver it to you. You know, and um, so then we do home improvement projects. We have a a program called Hammer Time and we've done everything from yard work to painting to a bathroom renovation, you know, so that can look a lot of different ways. Um, But again, just giving caregivers the opportunity to focus more on the kids who they're caring for and to be able to put some of those like home responsibilities aside. Um, We have a couple different ladies night out groups that are meeting now, one in Northport and then one in Sarasota Manatee once a month. Um, And they just go to a different restaurant. Really, that's community building. Um, it's, It's being connected with women who get it. They're on a similar life journey. They have a similar heartbeat and it's just a safe place. And those women are super well resourced too. So if you need to know like where a great school is or a good therapist or, you know, where to go for certain services, um, that's also just a great way to get connected that way. Um, we host a monthly training called the gathering. Um, so foster parents who need those annual relicensing hours, they can satisfy those through our trainings, but we have a lot of adoptive families and even some professionals as well who come just because the content we present is, is so good and so necessary for people who are working with kids who come from trauma. What would you say has surprised you most, um, about, the foster care and adoptive community or that experience that you've been on, maybe where you saw it from the outside before and you had mm-hmm. your preconceived notions of what it would be like, what has surprised you most kind of living it out? Ooh. Um, how long is this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a good one. I'm going to, I'm going to have to think about that for a minute. Um, do you have another question you can fire, fire while I think about what is surprising okay, well, me the most? Tell me maybe something that, um, an outcome you've seen? What's something that you've seen when a family gets support mm-hmm. that maybe, what is something that you have seen change it within them? Maybe you have a story to share. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, I think just what we do on a day-to-day basis, we see families who, um, you know, again, like it, it's this whole balance of you don't want to make foster care and adoption scary. You know, because part of our heartbeat is to say we need more families who are willing to do this. And these are kids who, to no fault of their own, have experienced something horrible. And so it's our job as believers, especially to be able to wrap around and give them a safe place. Um, But we also need to be really realistic of what that looks like and to 
to help people understand like these are kids who come from traumatic situations. And so some of the things that they've learned, some of their behaviors, some of their processing um, is is not as healthy as we'd like it to be. And so there can be things that can be really hard to deal with. So um, and it's also hard sometimes to share stories because you need to um, be respectful of um, confidentiality and things sure. like that. But I can just say, I mean, time and time again, we have families who um, they've they've already done the hard work of saying yes. Um, I think that's the big hurdle. Like a lot of people, um, if we can get them to to say yes and to walk through the process, like that's such a big deal. Right. Um, and then it's our job just to keep them there, to, to be able to keep them saying that daily yes. So, again, sometimes it's just like a meal or it's like child care or something so small that um, just gives them that sigh of relief that they need to be able to press on and be able to do it another day. I really feel that foster parents are heroes living mm-hmm. among us. I mean, mm-hmm. we don't. I mean, it's like the superheroes, you know, you don't even realize, you know, who they are, right? Mm-hmm. When they're in disguise or whatever. But that's how our foster parents are in our community. They're in a, with us in our stores and, you know, coming to the mm-hmm. school with us. But we may not even realize that they're a foster parent. And yet they have said yes to mm-hmm. something that is incredibly difficult, sometimes very lonely, mm-hmm. a lot of unexpected challenges. <clears throat> and so anything that we can do to keep them saying yes yeah. for another day, I think is so powerful. And one of your taglines you often say is not everyone can foster but everyone can do something to right. help. Right. And I think that's revolutionary because I do think people sometimes feel crippled by that idea of mm-hmm. maybe I can't foster right now or they're a little they have some trepidation about saying yes. But once they get connected, they realize they can do something to help. And then I've also seen people move from helping yeah. maybe with a meal or yep. babysitting to saying, "You know what? Maybe I can say yes and get yeah. licensed and become a foster parent." So I think what you're doing is you're broadening opportunities yeah. for people. People who say, I care about kids in foster care, but I don't know what to do to help. And I mm-hmm. think Bridge of Life has really done that. Is that behind the name? Is that Was that part of the idea behind the name Bridge of Life? Or where did that come from? Do you know? Yeah, so it's just that idea of like bridging, <laughs> you know, bridging lives. So right. yeah, whether that's you're bringing a meal or you're, you know, swinging a hammer or you're actually the one who is licensed and, you know, fostering a kid. Um, there are just a lot of ways to kind of bridge those gaps between families and kids that, that need a safe place. How have you seen Bridge of Life grow since you started five years ago? Um, I think our community is a lot more aware. Um, you know, I think our partnerships within other child welfare agencies are really strong. Um, you know, we have some groups that meet monthly, and some of them are faith-based, and some of them are just, you know, a state or secular organizations. But I feel like Bridge Life is really in the mix with a lot of those now. Um, and we've really, f- um, from the beginning, we had great partnerships, but I feel like those have just um, improved and strengthened. Um, and I feel like, you know, now if, if you have anybody who's in Sarasota Manatee counties and it's like, hey, it, the word foster care or the word adoption, I feel like Bridge Life is probably more on the forefront of people's minds, um, which is a great place to be. So it's just... Um, it means we're a lot busier too. You know, the, the email inbox is fuller, the, the voicemails are coming in. Um, you know, we're getting more and more requests for help. Um, and so, you know, you see that volunteer base growing and, you know, just a lot of, I think, and then our idea of what we want, you know, it's, it's like a meal is great. Um, what's the big picture here? Like, what are we really working towards? What do we want for our community when it comes to trauma informed care and how to take care of these kids? So, 
if you had a magic wand, big picture <laughs> dreams, where, what would you like to see happen? We would love to see like everybody, um, whether you're a foster parent or a teacher or a judge or a counselor or a garbage man, like be trauma informed, you know, what does that mean for someone who's never heard that term? What does that mean to be trauma informed? Yeah. I think the more we're kind of fleshing this out, I mean, it's, it's principles that help us be compassionate towards people who've experienced early childhood trauma. Um, but really it's just growing compassion towards people in general. Mm -hmm. Like, so we host these trainings and they're really geared towards foster and adoptive families. Um, but then at the end it's like, well, aren't these just great principles to live by? Like, shouldn't we just pause for a moment before we judge what somebody else says or does and consider their perspective and and why they may or said why they may have said or done that thing. And so, um, but it's understanding the brain and, and understanding the body and understanding how early, childhood trauma impacts development, um, and worldview and a whole bunch of other things so that we can be sensitive to that when we're dealing with people. Cause these are kids who need that from us, first of all, and they're kids who grow into adults, um, who, you know, road rage and just being, right. fr- being frustrated with your wait staff and, you know, little things like that. And it's just like, you just never know what that person's history is and right. how a little bit of kindness and understanding can really change, the interaction. I think you're right. I mean, I think it's amplified in this particular community, mm-hmm. but it's at the same time, good principles for yeah. the world to live by. Right? right. And if we could get it right in these situations, maybe that mm-hmm. um, will help influence more. Did you come up with something that maybe has surprised you along this journey? Yeah. So, um, I think there's a big emphasis lately in mental health where, you know, you've maybe seen it on social media or whatever. It's like, check on your strong friends, Yes, you know? And, um, I would say check on your foster and adoptive friends. Cause That's I good. think there are a lot of strong people who have said yes to this calling and they're putting on a strong face. Um, but I think if you approach them and you really have a desire to know and understand and be a support to their family and just say, how are you doing? Like what, could I help you? And if you really mean it, I think you would start to break down some of those strong walls and see that it's a family who could really use support. Um, they have some kids who are struggling, you know, and, and so their family is struggling alongside of them. And so, um, I think that's, that's a surprising thing. It is, it is such a calling. Um, and it can feel lonely, like a lot of other callings, can, you know? Um, and so just to say like, check on your foster and adoptive friends, see how they're doing. I love that idea. Mm -hmm. So the title of the podcast is Doing Good Well. And Mm -hmm. when I think of Bridge of Life, you are doing good and you are doing it well. But what does that mean to you? What does it look like to do good well? Or how would you encourage someone to do good well in their sphere of influence? I think for me, that means um, doing less better which is really hard for me. That's good. That's good. <laughs> um, and sometimes I have to remind myself of that if I'm working on a project or, you know, we've got an event or a program or something and it's like, okay, as soon as this one is over, I need to not say yes to anything else. that's going to take up that space. I can relate to this on yeah. so many levels, as you can imagine. And, and I need to kind of get everything else like up to a standard of excellence that I would want it to be at. Um, before I just say another yes, because there are a lot of things that I'm interested in and would love to participate in. And there are so many great opportunities, but like to just do less better. I like that idea. I think that's great. Well, I think you've shared some awesome insight, you know, from your own journey, from what your organization is doing. If people want to find out more about Bridge of Life, how can they do that? It's bridge, A, 
life.com. Um, and you'll see on our homepage, there's a help for families section. So if you're a foster and adoptive family, you can see what that looks like, but then there's also a get involved. So if you're interested in volunteering, it just spells out really simply all the ways that you can do that. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on the podcast today, Jody. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of doing good. Well, this podcast is produced by info pilgrims. And if you have ever thought about starting your own podcast, or maybe you need some help with one that you already have in the works, I would encourage you to reach out to these guys at infopilgrims.com. They can help make that podcast dream of yours a reality. As always, we would love for you to take a moment to rate and review the podcast wherever you listen to it. That helps other people find it and helps us grow our audience, so we would really appreciate that. Until next time, I'm Callie Cowan, and this is the Doing Good Well podcast. Thanks for tuning in.